Welcome to episode 12 and the very first episode of our NICU series. I am so excited for this series because we're going to be hearing from some incredible moms and dads that have already journeyed through the NICU. We're also going to be bringing lots of educational tools so that if you or someone you know is going through the NICU, you can lean on us. It's a scary place with lots of unknowns and we want you to know that we're here for you. To start us off, our very own Taryn is going to be chatting alongside her husband, Derek, to share their story. When they started family planning, they had no idea that their story would include two preterm babies and a combined total of 13 weeks spent in the NICU. We're going to be talking about their experience delivering the preterm babies, some of the logistics navigating the NICU, and all the feelings they felt along the way. Let's go chat, mamas. Hey mamas, I'm Sam. And I'm Taryn. And together we're the Messy Messy Mamas. Mamas. We've created the Messy Mama Pod because we've both experienced the messiness that motherhood brings. We're completely unfiltered and unapologetically ourselves as we chat about all things motherhood. Once a month, we're going to be spotlighting one of you mamas so that you can share your story, advocate for your babies, and connect with the other messy moms in our community. Dry shampoo's our best friend and this shirt may or may not be clean. Our lives are completely chaotic, so if you're anything like us, welcome to the mess. Okay, let's go chat. And remember, mamas, messy can be beautiful. Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Mama Pod. I'm so excited to talk with Taryn and her husband, Derek, as they talk about their journey through the NICU with their kids. This whole podcast stemmed from their journey, and I know a little bit about it, but I don't know all the ins and outs, so I'm super excited to hear from you guys. Why don't you guys just start it off by telling us a little bit about your family? Yeah, so we have two kids. Um, Right now, Tate is three and a half, our boy, um, and we have a 10-month-old Reese. And both of our kids were born um, preterm. Tate was 10 weeks early, Reese was nine weeks early, um, and it was completely unexpected. So it's kind of been a wild ride. Um, I stay at home with the kids. Derek um, is a full-time teacher. We live in a fairly small town. Um, so the dynamic is really, really nice. We have tons of appointments with our kids and that's just kind of like pretty typical for life after the NICU. So, um, it's worked out really, really well for us. And, um, especially once we had Reese and she was preterm, it just was kind of one of those blessing in disguises that I do stay at home with the kids. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, we're busy. We're just kind of like your typical Derek plays hockey. I, don't (laughs) you know hockey wife life all that stuff but yeah for the most part our our lives are kind of revolving around our kids which we just absolutely love that's wild I'm like so excited to hear about this because I know this was just so different from my experience having Lucas so Mm -hmm. I'm just excited to get into it so um let's just start at the beginning did you know that Tate was going to be high risk or that your pregnancy was high risk like how did all that look for you yeah Maybe I'll start and then you can just kind of like fill in where sure. <laughs> you want. Um, so we found out quite early in our pregnancy that we were expecting. Um, and so at our first dating ultrasound, I think we were like six weeks by yeah, then so, about yeah. that. Um, and I will never forget during the ultrasound or whatever, we were both so excited. Derek took the day off of work. Um, and as soon as the ultrasound tech started doing the ultrasound, she was like, 
oh, wow, this is weird. Like, I've never seen this before. And I remember just, like, looking at Derek. Being <laughs> That's like, reassuring. Yeah, like, what the hell does that mean? And then part of me was like, I don't think you're allowed to do that as an ultrasound tech. Nope. But so she was like, yeah, you have two uteruses. And Derek was like, what, what the <laughs> hell is that? Yeah, something that neither of us had ever heard of, like, which is so weird as a woman, like, I don't know. It was just a really weird feeling for yeah. me. Um, and so we were like immediately set up with a specialist, like not just your uh, typical OB. It, she specializes in basically cases like mine, um, high risk pregnancies due to like, um, what would it be called? Like, because my uterus would be the issue basically. Can I just um, ask a quick question? Yeah. Sorry, so off topic, but like because you had two uteruses, could you technically have like two babies? Could you get yep. pregnant at separate times? Yep. That's so <laughs> wild. <laughs> Do you remember her telling us that? Yep. And we're both yep. like, oh dear God, no. <laughs> um yeah, so I have what was or I had what was called a bicornuate uterus. And so a typical uterus will look like a wisdom tooth, whereas mine, when I was in utero, um, which is so weird to think about, but basically the bottom of mine didn't kick out and create those like two kind of like canals okay. and mine stayed in the shape of a heart and it starts with a like it starts with a separation like there's a line down the middle of it and that eventually dissolves and mine didn't and so my uterus was a heart shape with a line down the middle and the hard thing for them to know was like because I was already pregnant they didn't know okay where is that wall is it attached at the top of the bottom will it just stretch will the baby is it like thin enough that the baby will push it and break it and it won't be an issue so it was just like a lot of unknowns and that was basically once we started seeing our specialist she was like this sort of thing is usually detected beforehand like before you become pregnant because you yeah. can have other issues from it um and so our pregnancy, we were high risk and we had lots of, like, we had a ton of ultrasounds with Tate. I think we had eight ultrasounds in our 30 weeks of pregnancies. Yeah, that's or a lot. Our 30 weeks. Yeah, it was, it was like excessive. And I know for me, like, well, did you really know anyone that had preterm babies before? No, no, no. And having him preterm wasn't ever talked about like and I know we have talked about that a lot I'm like did I miss something like did we have this conversation and I just like was not paying attention or something like going into preterm labor was not something that we talked about that we planned for nothing so it was like yeah it was a super weird thing. I didn't even really know it was honestly like a thing not that I like have a lot had a lot of ideas of what it was going to be like mm -hmm. like when my wife is pregnant but it was just like it's just you I guess you just never think that way that you just think that you're just going to be like another normal statistic where it's just like oh yeah you go through it and it's done you get home and stuff and you just yeah I didn't even really totally until you're in it you go like didn't really have a clue yeah really no, that's so true. And I talk a lot about that now that we were like very ignorant to what the NICU entailed and what to premature babies go through. And to me, like the word ignorance is not like 
a fault, right? It's like, we just, we were not educated. We had never seen it before. We both had never really had friends that had preterm babies. So it was like totally new to us. But again, it wasn't something that we even talked about. Like we were monitored so closely and with tape, everything looked perfect until I went into labor one night. So it wasn't like, okay, so we're, you're 29 weeks. Um, let's prepare you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went into spontaneous labor with him. So what was, what was that like? Like what was, I mean, I <laughs> guess you don't really know what the difference is between a full term and, and preterm, but like, no. was that just like a really scary time for both of you guys? Like, yeah, Derek, was what was going it. through your head? Like she's all of a sudden 30 weeks and all of a sudden she's going well, into labor like a little early. Three in the morning. And so it was just like, stop waking me up. You're going to be fine. This because she didn't, she didn't think that that's what was like. No. We didn't think that that's what was happening. She just, I don't really know. I was half asleep when she's like, oh, finally, I, like, and then after we like talked about it, I finally convinced her. was like, we need to go to a hospital. Like something's not right. But right. we still didn't really think it was that until we're at the hospital and they're like, you're going in an ambulance to Saskatoon. We need to go like right now. Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like this is more than our oh. little like rural hospital is going to offer us. Like this yeah. is, this is getting real now. It was such a gong show. Like I went to get out of bed to go pee and I thought I dislocated my hip. And so I oh. like hob, like I like, pulled myself back into bed and I'm like holy shit like this really hurts and so I finally woke Derek up after an hour and a half of me being like okay pop it back in and I'd like swing my leg and like nothing would happen I'm like okay this is not working like what is happening so yeah we it was just it and it's so funny looking back it's like you know, those days where you're having like a really hard day and then like everything else just like keeps piling on That was our delivery with Tate. Like our hospital didn't have a doctor on staff. So they like declined us access or like sent us on. So we went to another town that was like 40 minutes in the opposite direction of the city. And the whole way Derek is driving fast. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, let's go back home. Like maybe I have a UTI. Maybe I have like, we were just playing so many weird scenarios in our heads. Mm -hmm. And I had phoned my auntie who's a labor and delivery nurse. And she's like, Taryn, I don't know. Like you need to go get checked out. This does not seem right. But I had complete back labor. Like I didn't, it wasn't even like my stomach was tightening, like Mm -hmm. a contraction. It was all in my back and in my hips. So it was, yeah, it was super weird. Um, but that's common with preterm labors is that it's like heavy in your back. And so we ended up getting to Rosetown hospital and I was already four centimeters dilated. And so we were like in an ambulance, (laughs) the doctor sat at the end of my stretcher, fully gowned, gloved, masked, was like ready to deliver (laughs) this baby. I was on an incline, like my feet were above my head um, yeah, we got to the hospital in like 45 minutes or something yeah. and we got there at like six 30 and I had Tate at nine 48 and I delivered him at eight centimeters. So I wasn't wow. even 10 centimeters dilated. So he came really fast. Um, once we were at the hospital and this is something, um, that I talk a lot with other NICU moms about is like, 
looking back on both of my kids, it feels like I've gone through like a grieving experience. And I don't say that to be dramatic. I, I say it like truly from my heart and it makes me emotional every time. But like, I didn't get like, I couldn't sit on a ball and like bounce and I couldn't go into a tub and I couldn't really do anything to like relieve pain. And I didn't get to walk and I didn't get like, you know, when you see like birthing photos of like the husband is like rubbing the wife's back. Like I didn't get any of that because they were like, no, you're going to lay here and try to prevent this labor. Like this baby cannot come out right now. Like you're not close enough to term. So it was like, it was scary. Like it was a really, really, and like, we're not old. (laughs) I was 23 (laughs) when we had Tate, Derek was 25. It was our first baby. So it's not even like I had a full-term baby that you know what things are like, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, my epidural went backwards. Never heard of that happening before. Yeah. What is that? Like it numbed it numbed me from like my belly button to my shoulders. So like my boobs oh. were frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. But not the parts like, that you would like to be frozen. No, no, no. Nice. So yeah, delivering him was such a, and I just, I, I maybe you remember this differently because I think that like emotions run different between like the mother and totally. the father, but yeah. I never felt like, what's the word? Like reassured. Like nobody was there being like, you know what? You're 30 weeks. This baby is going to live. This is what you can expect. Like, Mm -hmm. and maybe it was because it was so fast, but when we, um, we actually delivered him in an observation room because it was so fast from the time that we got there to the time that we had him. And it was like, they didn't believe me. I'm like, I am telling you my body is pushing. And she's like, no, you can't have this baby yet. Like, don't push, don't push. And I'm like, it feels like I am pooping right now. And then she was like, doctors are in here. Like we are doing this. And then he was born. Um, so yeah, it was like super fast and emotional and like, not like we were happy, but like not. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I wouldn't say not. I think it's just, you're just completely overwhelmed. Like, and it was, it was so fast from, like, four in the morning when we left bigger to, like, nine, almost ten o'clock. It was just, like, a million miles an hour. And you just, you have no idea what, like, with our first kid, we had no idea what was going on. And on top of it being, like, a preterm like a preterm baby, you just, that even added more of just like, I really have no idea what's going on now. And, and there wasn't really any time where anyone's like sitting you down to tell you anything. Cause it, it just happened so quick. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. And that's one thing I'd be very interested. Well, and I guess it was a little bit different with, um, Reese, but I like, I often wonder, I'm like, was that a lack of what we did? Like, should we have asked more questions? Should we, like, during the delivery? Like, should I have been like, can I stand up and walk around? You know, like, can I do this? What happens if this happens? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we didn't ask those questions, but I do think it was a combination of like, okay, this is our first baby. Derek was like phoning our parents being like, 
hey, we're in an ambulance. Okay, now we're in Saskatoon. Like, you need to be here because we don't, we didn't know what was going to happen. Like, and I just, I remember that once I delivered him, um, what they do for all preterm babies and all C-sections, actually, is they call the NICU and they say, okay, mom is now pushing, um, like, I don't know what the word is, but then the NICU team comes up. So we're in this observation room, which is not big. Like, it is (laughs) not roomy. Um, They couldn't even fit a bed in there for Tate to go into. It was that small. Like, you know, a baby's bed. Yeah. Um, And so as soon as he came out, he was gone. The NICU team took him across the hall into an actual delivery room and put him into, like, the isolate or whatever and started... They do like the workup like they like they would for a normal baby after you hold them and whatever. So they like yeah. cleaned him off. They checked to see if he was Tate crying. In, yes. the, in the other room he was. Yes, he started crying in the other room. Um, So he wasn't crying when he came out, which I knew just from like, I don't know, that that wasn't a good thing. Um. And whatever. So they do their full assessment. So then they brought him back to us and we held him for like 30 seconds. Yeah, a minute, maybe two. Um, And he had oxygen on already. So they already had the oxygen there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they take him down to the NICU. And at that point, like then, of course, the mom, you have to deliver the placenta well, because of my bicornuate uterus, it caused issues. So my placenta didn't deliver. They had to um, like pull it out in chunks. It was horrid. Like it was literally like painful. Oh, I will never forget that feeling. More like, painful than than pushing Tate out. Way more painful. Wow. Way more painful. It like I can I can picture it right now, or I can feel it right now. It was like. She, I remember the doctor being like, I am so sorry. Like, don't look at this. And she pulled like tongs. Like they looked like barbecue tongs almost (laughs) is what I'm remembering. And I can remember like every strip that she pulled out. Like it was horrible. That sounds horrible. Um, And at that point, Derek was gone. So I'm laying there completely by myself delivering my placenta. And I didn't even know... And this sounds, I don't mean to sound morbid, but I'm like, I don't even know if my baby's alive. Like, I genuinely didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Derek went with Tate? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, I got to follow the team down, like the isolate that he was in, like down the elevator, they showed me where to go. And then they like just stick you in the waiting room and they, they knew that I was, uh, that I was going to wait there. So then they just came and got me because there's like a whole process to even kind of get in there and stuff like that. But they just kind of walk you through that once it got you in there right. and whatnot. So yeah, I waited. Well, I don't know how a long, long. <clears throat> it seemed like a long time. Like, I think it was probably like an hour or two because they want to get them, get him all like set up with everything. Mm-hmm. So like you don't get to watch all that, which is probably a good thing. Oh yeah. But uh, once he's like settled and, and in a spot then I got to go in and see him and I didn't stay very long because I had already been gone (laughs) for a while just waiting for him so yeah so during that whole time did they explain anything of like what was going on with him or or his like while he was in the waiting room well even to you like to either of you was anybody explaining what was going on with Tate and if he was okay so they didn't know that's the thing I kept asking the nurse I kept being like 
what's his status? Like where, like, what are they doing? And she's like, we don't have that information. Like once your husband goes in, then he'll know that. And that was one of the hardest things is I was, Derek and I were texting a bit Mm -hmm. being, and he's like, I'm still in the waiting room. Like I can't get in. And I remember laying there being like, no, you freaking go in there. Like, and I didn't know because I had never been into a Nikki before. I didn't even know what it looked like. Like I legitimately never, to me, I just thought it was like a room. Like that he'd just be there by himself and Derek could go in. So I remember almost being mad being like, no, you go in there with him. Like that's yeah. our baby. That's like baby. Yeah. three pounds, like you go in there. But um, yeah, until Derek could get in there, probably like an hour or so yeah. later, we didn't know anything. Oh my gosh. That's a and long actually, time to be like in the dark. Long, yeah. How scary. And actually another thing was as soon as I delivered him and they took him away, I remember being like, what, what is it? And the doctor was like, what? Cause it was, there was an intern or what did they call it? a resident delivered. Right. Okay. And the doctor being like the gender and her being like, Oh, it was a boy. So <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I didn't even get that experience of like, it's a boy. I've, yeah, I've never had this, but when they like put the baby on your chest and you look and they, you know, you see what it is, it was like I remember being like I don't even know I don't even know what my baby is and he's gone already. Yeah. Like so it was, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Okay, yeah. so you find out that he's okay. What happens next? Like, so did, did you get to see him that night? Or yeah, so morning, I had I him, guess. Well, I had him at 9:48. I bet Derek got back to the hotel room and at this point our parents had made it to the hospital. Um I had like some underlying like I burst like all the blood vessels in my face and my eyes and down my chest mm-hmm. from pushing, but I have like a blood clotting disorder thing that affected it and so I wasn't allowed to even stand up until I had blood work and the blood work took forever do you remember that Mm -hmm. it was so long so I went to the NICU I think it was at like four o'clock or three o'clock wow because when I remember when Derek got up back up from the NICU so that was probably like 11 30 I was still waiting for blood yeah And then I went and he helped me shower. And then after that, we had to like kind of wait for, I can't really remember. I can't remember what happened then. But then, yeah, then we eventually made our way down um, to the NICU. And so the NICU that Tate and Reese were both in is no longer there, which seems so, it's actually really, really sad to me um, because now it's the Jim Pattison's hospital. But what the old NICU looked like, it was in the same hospital, obviously. Um, but we had to like kind of, I don't know. I just remember being like, how many more elevators are we going on before we get here? But you go in, there's a wall of lockers that you have access to. There's just like a pin code. Um, and then there's a waiting room. And you, every person that comes there has to go into this waiting room. And it wasn't very big. There was two couches and then like four chairs that you can sit on and there's like a tv and um any family that is visiting or whatever because you can only ever have two people in with your baby at one time Mm -hmm. and one of them has to be a parent so if you have like grandparents come there's always someone in the waiting room right 
Right. Um, so then you f- use the phone in there and you phone into the actual bay that's across the hallway from this waiting room. And that NICU, there was seven bays. And what I mean by that, it was like a horseshoe. Each bay basically was like, think of it as like a horseshoe of babies. And there was like six babies in each bay, sometimes eight. And it was tight. Like basically it was like baby. And then you could have like a chair. And then the next isolate was right there. So it was like, it was really, really crammed. Um, And like to think you just have delivered a child. So I would say like 95% of women are in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we got there, we phoned in and you have this ID. Um, I still can remember both of our kids. 948063 was Tate's. And so we would say like, hi, we're here for baby argue, like whatever, say their ID. Sometimes they can say, no, you can't come in right now. So times when that would happen, for example, when Tate was in there and they're like getting him set up and getting him, um, he was, both of our kids were intubated. So they had like the breathing tube down their throat for them. Um, they do like the IVs, they do like billy lines through their belly buttons. They do all the monitors, they do whatever else your child needs. When that's happening, no other parents can be in that bay. So when Tate was getting worked on any of the parents that were visiting their kids next to Tate, had to leave. Oh, okay. So that's just something. So sometimes you would get there and be like, Hey, I'm here to see Tate. And they'll be like, yeah, actually like there's a new baby or they're doing a procedure or whatever X, Y, and Z is happening. Mm -hmm. So no, you can't come in. So that was, that was like another really, really hard thing. That must be really challenging not being able to just see your baby whenever you want to. Yeah. And that would more so happen kind of at that bay, like one and two and three were more critical babies or the younger ones or the ones that were intubated. That didn't happen as often once your baby was because the closer to going home you got, they'd kind of move you down. So sometimes we'd show up and they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, Tate moved to bay three. And we were like, hell yeah, like that's awesome. (laughs) So you kind of like make that step. Um. But yeah, the first time that we went in there, we phoned whatever and Derek wheeled me in and I will never like I can. Can you still picture where he was? Mm -hmm. I can. I'll never forget that. And that was probably like the most. Like overwhelming. Like you're so happy because you have your baby but he was intubated, so he had a tube, a huge tube down his throat with mm-hmm. tape across of his face holding it in. Um, like I said, he had, like, IV in his head, so they had shaved part of his head with an IV there. He had, like, IV cords going directly through his belly button. They are full of, like, monitors and sensors, and it's loud, and it's beeping, and babies are crying, and it's, like panicky and it's tight so nurses are like walking really fast and people are on the phone like it's just it's a lot it is like very overwhelming and I remember Derek just like I'll never forget the nurse that we had um and I remember Derek wheeled me up and I was just like 
I was just like stunned. And I remember like looking at Derek and he was just like calm and being like, do you want to stand up? Like, do you want to see him? Can you see him? And he's trying to like reposition my wheelchair. And I just remember thinking like, how are you functioning right now? Like, I could hardly even like focus on anything outside of Tate. I was so like, like in the zone at him, but I was so scared and I had no idea what any of that stuff was. And I didn't know what his machines were. And I didn't know like where, like where do we even start here? Like, yeah. I can't even imagine. Derek, what was that like for you? Or like the first time that you saw Tate? well for the the first time like when i was by myself you same kind of feeling you just you don't know like what anything they're telling you means really and you just kind of like and you're just like like you're just like are we in here for a long time like is this bad like mm-hmm. like i think always in the back of your mind you're just like oh like it'll it'll pat like it's gonna be super quick like it yeah. you have no idea but yeah. you're just kind of like yeah, you just and they're like and they're trying to tell you that it's gonna be okay and that like he's doing really well and stuff, but you don't really know. Yeah, you don't you don't really know. It's just kind of like the assurances of everybody is good, but you're just kind of like I have I have no idea. Like this yeah. looks super scary. Is it super scary? Yeah, it's as scary as or it is, looks. Yeah. Yeah, and and then once you kind of spend some time, you kind of you learn some of the stuff and you and you figure it out but for the first time walking in there and then you're like not really supposed to look around but you're kind of seeing other babies in there too and you're just like holy man like i'm we're in we're in deep like kind of yeah yeah it's actually a really good term like we're in yeah so how did you both handle it like how did what was it like the whole journey of tate being in the nicu what was that like for both of you Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a loaded question, but (laughs) yeah, I'm trying to think like where to start. So I think one of the really hard things and what, until you're through it, there's so much to it that you just like, don't know. Like Derek was a teacher and he had to keep teaching like life outside of your bubble continues to go on. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so angry about that. Like, People on Facebook were still living their lives and I'm sitting in a NICU again. Like my life looks the exact same as it did yesterday, but everything else was going, you know, life was turning. So Derek worked. um, And again, we were an hour from the city, right where Tate was. So I kind of bounced between Derek's cousin's house and my brother's house. And I lived up there. I, I think I left the city one time yeah we came back once um yeah so tate was in for six weeks um and i left the city one time whereas derek was driving back and forth so he would usually go how did we do that i think you would work for two days and then he would come and spend that at like as soon as 3 30 hit he would come up and he'd spend that night and the morning And then he would leave by like seven in the morning to get to school by eight o'clock. Wow. So that was kind of like the rotation. Yeah. And part of it was like, well, it was all financial. Like you don't really think about 
okay, now I'm here living out of a suitcase that I didn't even pack. Like (laughs) Derek had to like pack me a suitcase when he came back with stuff and you're like postpartum. So nothing fits and you're uncomfortable. And then add like the breastfeeding and all of that. It was just such a disaster, but, Mm -hmm. um, kind of lost my train of thought. Was that like draining for you, Derek, like having to kind of like juggle both? Um, well, it was, I, I also felt like it was a little bit of what I needed. Like I, Taryn was there all day, every day. And I, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I couldn't do it the first time. And I couldn't do it the second time. Like I just, I just, it's not, I don't know. I guess I don't really, I can't explain it. Mm -hmm. So to kind of be able to get away, I guess there was times where I've kind of felt selfish, to kind of be able to get that, even right. though she she was never going to leave. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of like able to to come and just like get away from it, I guess, is maybe maybe that's a better way of saying it, which doesn't sound any better. But yeah. and then to be able to go in and and I would like I always went in and then there was shift change at seven. So I would try yeah. to get there right after school so that I could I could be there for a bit. And then while shift change, we'd usually go for like supper and just kind of like, you know, and just try to not spend a whole bunch of time talking about it. I mean, I think we did anyways, but just to kind of be able to like take that time to be like, let's go have a good supper and just kind of like take our minds off it for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then after shift change would be done, we'd go back and whether I stayed the night or sometimes I just went back late that night too. Yeah. And I tried to come up like every other day, if not like, Sometimes it would have to be two days depending on like extra curse stuff and whatever. But that, yeah. And like I talked to a lot of other NICU moms and like, you know, life just continues. And that was something that was really, really hard for me. And that was something that like once we got out of the NICU with Tate, we really had to work through that because I started to have a lot of resentment towards that journey and how Derek got to go and talk to other adults. Like when you're sitting in the NICU, you're really not talking. Like you talk to the doctors and you have some interaction with the nurse that day. And I always was probably chattier than what a lot of them liked. But Derek, I felt like got to come and live his life. And my life stopped. I was there for like 15, 18 hours a day at a time without even like I remember the nurses being like, hey, Taryn, you have to leave. Like, you have to go and eat something and you have to go get a drink of water and you have to go and pee. Because I was also, that's part of the NICU is that, okay, now you're not breastfeeding your baby because you physically, well, in our case, I couldn't. He wasn't even old enough to, at that gestation, he didn't have the skill to suck, swallow, and breathe at the same time. That was a learned thing, right? Right. So I had to pump every three hours for him. Um, So there's a pump room across the hall that you go to and you set up and you sit there and pump for 30 minutes. And that, then you go back. And that was my life. So yeah, we, it was, it was really hard afterwards because I just felt like Sometimes I was like, Derek's life didn't even stop. And mine was just like, I didn't really see friends. I really didn't see family that much. I sat in a chair. It was really hard and plastic and my back hurt. And I was trying to pump and feed this baby. And he got all this interaction with other people. 
but that's also what we chose because like he said, that's what he needed. Right. And that was like totally okay. So yeah, I feel like one thing with Tate though, that was very different than Reese was we really, um, lacked knowledge around like resources and that's something that I am like kind of in the works of like trying to figure out how to support moms like even knowing about the Ronald McDonald house which is across the street from the hospital you it's like ten dollars a day you can literally live there it's like a hotel room and there's living rooms and there's kitchens and you know like we didn't really know that it existed we didn't even look well, we kind of looked into it, a nurse told us, but yeah. just things like that. I just felt like our whole time with Tate was such, I look back and I'm like, did I not ask enough questions? Did we not, you know, do you feel like that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just very different between the first, like, I just feel like the, like with Tate, it was like from start to finish, like from having them 47 days later to like finally going home that it was just like, it was just a whirlwind the whole time. And you're just like, I don't even know what happened. And you're just like, you just get into the the grind. Like you just, you just got into the grind and we, and looking back, hindsight's always 2020 where you're like, yeah, we should have been at the Ronald McDonald house for the, for Tate and stuff like that too, because we were for reason. It was awesome. Yeah. But it, it's just, it was, yeah. But I think, I think as new parents, you don't really know those questions to ask. So then you add okay. the NICU and all of that stuff on top of it. And it's totally just like so much. So you just don't know what to ask. You don't know what resources are there. So I think that's cool yeah. that you're trying to like bring that to light a bit more for people who, who do have to go through the NICU. Yeah. And the other thing I will say about Tate's journey through the NICU um because I think that this is like, well, this was fascinating to me. So what they do, like I said, so Tate started out in bay one and like not all babies would obviously depending on room and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of like graduate down the bays, right? And once you're at bay seven and bay eight, those are the bays that you leave from essentially. Mm-hmm. So, and Derek is kind of better at talking about these than me. And he was so funny. Every, actually I'll back up a little bit. There's, they post this picture of a little house on the baby's isolate, right? And they always make like a name tag for your baby. And it's, they're like, they try to make it as personal as possible. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. And on this house, there's five windows. And in order, like for your baby to be safe to go home, they have to gain a sticker in each of their windows. And so the first one is like lungs, heart, their weight, like they have to weigh at least five pounds um, feeding and temperature, their feeding and temperature. So Tate, when he was born, he couldn't regulate his own body temperature. He couldn't breathe on his own. He, his heart, they have what are called bradys or like bradycardias where their heart rate, they basically like forget to keep beating. So they drop super, super low. And then if they get under 80 beats per minute, the monitors go off and they have a brady and Sometimes you have to stimulate them to like get them breathing again or get their heart beating again. Sometimes they come up on their own. So those are monitored super closely. Those would be Um, terrifying. Oh my God. (laughs) Literally the, like the worst feeling in the world when your baby's heart is like trying to stop beating. It's awful. Um, And then they have to be demand feeding. 
So they won't have to want to eat every three hours. And then they have to be taking a certain amount of milk every three hours and be getting a certain amount of calories. And they have to be gaining weight steadily and be at least five pounds. So that's all, all for the first window. <laughs> no, no, no. That's for the house. So oh, they for have the house. To be able to Got do it. All of that. I was yeah. like, wow, that's a lot of progression. Yeah. <laughs> if it's just one window. <laughs> we will be here forever. <laughs> so every time, like, you have your morning round with the doctors. Um, and again, if there's doctors rounding on your baby, no one else can be in there. So every morning at whatever time, depending where you are in the NICU, um, all of the parents have to go out. And then you, when it's your baby's turn, you can go in. That's where you talk to the dietitian, the um who else is there? Like a respiratory therapist. If your baby has any sort of like lung support, the neonatologist, the residents, the, um, uh, what is she called? One step above an RN nurse practitioner, a nurse practitioner. Like there's an entire team there and you talk to them every single morning. Um, and that's where they're like, okay, so last night Tate gained like 40 grams which is like peanuts, but it was like so exciting. And then they talk yeah. about, okay, we're going to wean him down on oxygen or, you know, he had a lot of bratties last night or, okay, we're going to bump up his, or bump down his isolate so that we force him to kind of regulate his temperature more. So those rounds are where you basically get like the 411 on like everything that happened overnight. Right. Um, and it was very important to me that we were there for rounds. Um, yeah, so. Wild. That was just another tidbit. So he was in there for how long, sorry? 47 days. It's a long time. So what was it like when you got to, like, take him home? <laughs> scary. <laughs> I mean, besides, like, exciting, but also scary? I guess I it didn't was... think of that. <clears throat> It was terrifying because you're used to sitting there with your baby hooked up to every machine under the sun that tells you literally if they like fart, you basically know it because of the monitor (laughs) will do something right. Or if they hiccup or whatever. So all of a sudden for 47 days, your baby has been hooked up to monitors and you have that safety net, right? If his heart rate starts dropping, nurses are called if his whatever, Literally, whatever Anything. happens, the nurses are right there. And then yeah. all of a sudden, he's off everything. And now you don't know if his heart is dropping. You don't know if he's not getting enough oxygen. You don't know if he's, like, bratting while giving him a bottle, which is very scary. Like, you don't know any of this stuff. So. Right. We were like, they don't really tell you when you're going to go home until you're going home, basically, like, the next day. Because so much can happen. Mm-hmm. Like, we experienced that more with Reese. We were like, it was just such a roller coaster. Um, and so all of a sudden it's like, Hey, yeah, you're going to go home tomorrow. And it's so exciting because you want nothing more than to get the F out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're like, we, I remember we were like in the vehicle driving home and we were both like, Oh, holy crap. <laughs> this is really scary. <laughs> like this is actually just like a lot. Yeah. So, so did you guys up- sleep like at all? No. For like the first few months. Well, we held, I don't know how long we held. We slept with him in a chair. Upright. For upright three for like, yeah. Oh, really? Because it was, it was, it was scary. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He had really bad, um, 
Well, he had reflux, but then also because of his reflux and tummy issues in the NICU, they put him on his stomach a lot. So when we would lay him down to go to sleep on his back, he would just wake up and he would want to be on his stomach. So yeah, we slept with him upright um, for three months. We took turns. Tate was on formula. um, Well, he was on breast milk and formula. And then by a month after being home, I transitioned him totally to formula and it was like the best thing for our family at the time. And so Derek would basically feed him, hold him upright. And then next time he needed to eat, he'd come in and wake me up and I'd feed him and hold him upright. And then we just did that for what felt like 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, this has been really interesting to like learn a little bit more about Tate. Cause like I said before, like I knew some of it, but not like the ins and outs. And I just think this is incredible. So Let's take a super quick break, and when we come back, we'll chat about Little Miss Reese. We are incredibly grateful for this week's sponsor and are so proud to be standing with them in their mission. The Sanders Schmerler Foundation raises funds for NICUs across Canada to purchase the life-saving equipment for premature or critically ill babies. The foundation was created in 2001 in memory of Sanders Schmerler, who was a loving wife and mama to two beautiful little girls. She is a Canadian curling icon who captured three Canadian championships, three world championships, and skipped her team to a gold medal at the Olympics in 1998. As of April 2020, the foundation has provided grants totaling over $5 million to over 50 hospitals across Canada in every province and territory. They are the only national foundation devoted solely to helping fund the purchase of the life-saving equipment for babies who are born too soon, too small, or too sick, like mine were. They raise their funds through initiatives like curling bond spiels, golf tournaments, online contests, and crowd sweeps at major curling events. One of their biggest fundraisers is the annual telethon on TSN at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. I shared a bit about it on our Instagram page while Derek and I had the honor of answering phones for it this year while it was in Moose Jaw. You can find the Sandra Schmerler Foundation on Instagram, Facebook, or by visiting their website, sandraschmerler.org. If any of you mamas listening feel compelled to help save babies' lives, just like Tate and Reese, you can donate $5 right now by simply texting Sandra to 4578 or by visiting their website anytime. The website is linked in our show notes. Join with us here at the Messy Mama Pod to help the foundation continue to save lives of Canadian babies born too soon, too small, or too sick. Okay, welcome back. So we've just talked about Tate. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about Reese's journey and how she came to be? Yeah. So after we had Tate, we obviously like had to follow up with our specialist. Um, And it was basically months of like, well, probably over a year actually of like tests and procedures and dead ends and being like, okay, let's try this. Okay. This didn't work. Okay. This is ruled out. Um, so ultimately I had a surgery and this surgery was to completely remove the middle septum that was separating my uterus in half. Right. Right. Okay. So because they thought that Tate basically just ran out of room and that wall didn't move. Which is why they, it was premature. Got it. Right. Okay. So they said that there was like a very high chance that the wall was too thick and attached at both the top and the bottom and that it couldn't be removed. But I, they're like, do you still want to try? 
And we were like, yes. So we have this surgery and I remember waking up and the, she was like over the moon. She was like, that could not have gone better. We got in there and realized that it wasn't fully attached at the bottom. It was just like resting along the bottom, blah, blah, blah. They removed it. Everything was supposed to be good. So we basically, once Derek and I were like, okay, we're ready to try for a second baby. Mm -hmm. We went back to the specialist. We had scans. Everything looked good. And we got the go ahead to try again. So we are under the impression that like, okay, issue is fixed. You have no reason to not go full term. Right. You'll still be high risk because you had a premature baby, but like everything looks good. So... We get pregnant with Reese. Um, Again, we have like a ton of appointments. I think I was going to my specialist every three weeks. Um, And then after 25 weeks, I was going every two weeks. And it was just like routine. Like, how are you feeling? Whatever. We did a scan at everyone. So we have 9,000 pictures of Reese too, (laughs) which luckily it matches Tate's baby book. Um, But... Oh, do you remember that? It was a Friday, this appointment, and it was my 29-week appointment, super routine, literally supposed to be like nothing. And Derek usually came to my appointments with me just because I was high risk and like if anything would have happened, I just wanted him to be there. Yep. And I remember like the date night before us being like, "Okay, hey, everything's good. I was feeling really good." Um like no issues. And so I think Tate went to daycare and I just went in and was going to have like kind of a day to myself. And my appointment was in the morning and she's like, Hey, everything feels good. Like, how have you been feeling? And I'm like, you know, what's really weird. Like today I just got like really bad cramps on the way in here. And I don't know if it's in my head or what, but I just like have learned that I need to trust my body. So Mm -hmm. I'm telling you this. And she's like, okay, well, Everything has looked good, but let's do a scan just to make sure. And we're like, Kate. So we head over to the ultrasound room and literally, Sam, I'm not kidding you. She is in the middle of like joking about something. And she just like stopped and looked at me and was like, I am so sorry. And I was like, what? Like, is there no heartbeat? Like, what is happening? Can't even imagine how you feel in that moment. Yeah, it was terrifying. And she's like, you are like in preterm labor. And I was like, what? Like, I've literally had a few cramps today and that was it. And they were not like severe. I honestly literally like I just about didn't even say anything to her. Um, And she's like, your cervix is completely gone or whatever that look. I can't remember. Um. And you're like a centimeter dilated. And I was like. No, no that wasn't that one. It had oh, no. shortened. You're it right. Shortened no, you're totally down. right. Yes. No, you're. Oh, my God. Look at you. Thank goodness, Derek. Thank here. you. Yep. That's totally right. It had shortened from 3.9 centimeters to 1.2. Yes. Yes. I can't believe I forgot that. Yes. So this is a Friday. And so she says to me, she's like, this could be the beginning of preterm labor. Like you could be like continuing to go like your service can, could continue to shorten or it could slowly have been shortening over the last two weeks. Like we don't know that, right? There's no way to tell that. And so she's like, 
so technically I'm in preterm labor, but it's like, how fast is labor going? So I like go out to my car. I'm like hysterically bawling. Mm-hmm. I phone Derek. Derek gets Tate out of daycare, packs some bags because she's like, you cannot go. You can't leave the city because if you go and you go into labor, like this baby is small. Um, was she breached then? No. No. And so, yeah, it was a complete whirlwind. Um, I got, oh, this is actually a really important thing. When you're in preterm labor, you can get steroid shots, and that basically, like, speeds up production of the lungs, basically. And it, like, coats them with, like, basically a lubricant so that when they, like, expand and contract, they don't stick. Okay. I hope no doctors or nurses are listening. (laughs) They're like, that is a horrid explanation. Um, But that's my understanding of it. So I got with Tate, I got one of the shots. You're supposed to get two. And he was born within like 40 minutes of having the shot. So it like really probably didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But with Reese, she gave me the shot there. And then I was to go back, I think the next day. Monday. We were at your brother's for the weekend. But I think I, no, that's, no, that's what it was. I went back like six at four hours later and you got the second one. So we stayed at my brother's that weekend who thank the Lord, my brother and sister-in-law are amazing. My sister-in-law had just had a C-section like the week before. So they had like a newborn at home and we're like, Hey, we're coming to crash at your house. Um, And we had to go back to her on Monday. So we went back on Monday and I was, my cervix had completely shortened and I was now a centimeter Mm -hmm. dilated. So things were like progressing and speeding up and I was on bed rest. So I like didn't even move basically that whole weekend. And there was nothing that she could give you to just like stop or slow down the progression of labor? No. So you can get a cerclage, which has to be inserted I think it's before 25 weeks I think um but once your cervix and basically that's a stitch so if we ever have another baby like as soon as you find out you're pregnant they would stitch my uterus shut or my cervix shut with a stitch right and then once you go into like labor then it would break but it like holds it um but no once you're started you can get like um I know with Tate, they were giving me, I think, magnesium. I think that's what slows it a bit. And like well, pain. magnesium is for brain development. Oh, that's right. I can't remember what it is that slows it. And like pain medication, they actually told me with Reese, will sometimes like calm your uterus down and like stop, can stop contractions. Okay. Um, so yeah, so on the Monday it was actually a different specialist I had to see because mine was out of town and she was like, you need to be admitted. So indefinitely on this Monday, I get admitted to the hospital. No, no, no. What's happening? It's all a blur for you. It is seriously. you You weren't admitted on the Monday. You were admitted on the Thursday. You went back for another appointment right. with your regular doctor, my Topher, because that's when I was, I was in the city. So I it was with Taryn on the Monday, the appointment in the morning. They stayed. I went back to Bigger to work in the afternoon. Then I had a conference up in the city Thursday, Friday. I went and checked in on the Thursday. We went to that appointment, and then we went to. That's the right. Oh my gosh. Seriously, it is Reese is such a whirlwind for me, and I think it's because we had Tate. 
Like, mm. so here we are, like I'm in preterm labor an hour away from our home. And I still have a two and a half year old that I'm like, tr we're trying to figure stuff out. Right? right. And you just don't, we didn't know. So that's right. So we went back on, that's what it was. We went back on Thursday and I was three centimeters dilated and she had flipped to breech position, footling breech. Okay. So breech ends up being a C-section. But the thing is with a preterm baby is that they're so small that if my water were to break, her like you could cord prolapse because there's nothing stopping your umbilical cord from falling out right okay. usually if they're like head down they've got like a hard surface hitting against your like pelvic bone or whatever right. but with her feet like shit could just fall out basically <laughs> so it's really dangerous and the and the Dr. Mytofer was like, I was like, really? Like, can I just stay at my brother's? Like, and she's like, no, because, because your footling breach, um, like you have like minutes to get into a C-section or you both can die. So that's what it was from that Thursday. Um, we were put on antepartum and we hung out there for another like week and a half. And I went into fault, like I went into labor with Reese two times where they like gave me whatever it is. I can't even remember right now. Um, and the pain medication, which like stopped the contractions. Um, and then I woke up one morning, one Friday, the Friday of May long. And I had a scan that day with Dr. Mytofer. And she was coming into the hospital to do the scan with me, mm -hmm. um, like bedside. And she said, okay, if she is not footling breach you can go to your brother's for the weekend and I will just see you on Sunday and then I'll see you again on Tuesday and I remember being like yes like this is gonna be awesome like I'm totally <laughs> getting out and I what I didn't because she was still footling breach and she's like I'm so sorry you can't leave um I went into false labor right after that. Like we literally got back to our room, started having really strong contractions. They went away. And then at five o'clock that day, started having contractions. I labored until like 10 o'clock. So I labored for five hours. And then I went in for an emergency C-section because the contractions, like she was trying to come basically. So is that why you labored for a while before just going straight to a C-section? Like a because planned... They were yeah, because they were trying to stop it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I don't totally know. Um, I had residents checking on me, and when the actual OB saw me and, like, saw my contractions and, like, did the scan and was, like, she's still footling breach, he's like, we need to call this. Like, no, she's footling breach, get her into surgery sort of thing. So. Mm -hmm. We went and that was a completely different experience having a C-section. It was, I had a really, really hard time with having a C-section. It was not like a fun thing at all for me. It was actually really, really horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and then we started our journey with Reese and we were there. Do you remember how long we were there with Reese for? 42. 42 days. So just under Tate. Mm -hmm. Um but it was weird because we had so many people like in the two weeks that I was on bed rest and like on antepartum, we had so many people that 
out of the goodness of their heart, they try and help you, right? And they try to say things to you that like ease your pain a bit. And I know that like every single person that reached out to us was coming from a place of love, but we heard so much that like, well, like this is just part of your story. And there's like, if anyone's made for it, it's you guys. And it's going to be so much easier this time for you. And it was way worse. Like it was 10 times harder Number one, because you knew what was coming. As soon as Reese was born and she wasn't able to breathe on her own, I'm like, cool, now she's getting a tube put down her throat. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, now she needs another IV. Now she has an eye exam. Like, you just knew what was, like, what she was about to face. And as a mom, feeling like your only job in the world is to protect your kids and you can't do that is the worst feeling I've ever experienced in my life. Like it was, it's awful. And I I felt that with Tate every single day. And I felt that with Reese every single day. So it wasn't easier at all. So what was the difference between Tate and Reese in their progression in the NICU? Milestone wise, they were actually like quite similar because Reese was a 31 weeker and Tate was a 30 weeker, right? So Because Reese had the steroid shots, her lungs actually developed faster than Tate's. So she was off oxygen faster than he was. Tate was actually taken off the, like, what's that called? The high flow. Well, he, like, wasn't, is it deintubated? I don't know if that's the proper term. Extubated. Extubated, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Deintubated. NERTs listening are like, God. Um, so he was extubated and then he had to be reintubated. Whereas Reese, she was extubated and then she was like basically off oxygen in two days, two days, which was like quite fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing between them was Reese was way more eager. And I th- like every nurse was like, yep, it's because she's a girl. Like <laughs> there's just a difference between them. Um, and I noticed that a lot with breastfeeding, like I tried my best with Tate to breastfeed. So I pumped every three hours from the minute that kid was born and I did the exact same thing with Reese. So every three more, three hours morning and night I pumped, Mm -hmm. um, as soon as I put Tate to breast to try to breastfeed, he like, I think he like licked me once and fell asleep. And Reese was like latched, deep latched, strong latch. And was like super, super good. Um, The other thing was we were literally told one day that we were leaving the next. And then that day she started having all these bratties, which are those heart rate dips. And they ended up doing like a full workup panel of her. And she just like, oh, she just went so backwards. I went for lunch the one day just down in the cafeteria and I came back and at that time she was in the very last bay and she was at like the farthest spot against the window. And I could see her monitor while I was washing. Like you have to scrub in, right. Mm -hmm. You obviously have to like wash your hands. And, um, I was like, what is happening? I'm like, frick, she's having a bratty. And then I just remember watching it and it like never moved. So her heart rate was like 80, 81, 82, 80. And it's normally like 130. And so I'm like, what is happening? And I like, I ran over there and it was a nurse that I had never had before. And 
I was like, what is like, what's wrong with her? Like, do I need to stimulate her? And she's like, oh no, she's okay. And I'm like, no, like her heart rate is at 80. Like this is not. And she's like, oh, I thought she had a low resting heart rate because some babies do when a baby gets closer to term, Mm -hmm. their heart rate will slow down. And I was like, no, 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 she does not have a low resting heart rate. And so that's when they did like a full workup and they found that she had a UTI. And so we had to go on seven more days or seven days of antibiotics. And on day six, so we're supposed to leave again the next day. Um, They're like getting our discharge papers ready. And this doctor comes back and was like, I am so sorry, but we missed um, like they do a urine culture to find the like or whatever yeah and um they're like we missed a bug and I'm like what and they're like well we're only treating her for one infection but it says that there's a second infection and it's like a very aggressive bug and it's basically it was for like people who are intubated for a really long time generally like older people who are like basically passing away get this infection and it can spread to their brain and that's what they that's what showed up on her cultures and I was a disaster like I we were told we were going home the week before, then she got this. Then we're told we're going home tomorrow, and now there's, like, another bug. So they had to start her on another heavy, like, this antibiotic was so strong, which means meant she needed an, another IV. So they mm-hmm. had to poke her, like, five times to get an IV. Um, and Those it, things and, hurt. <laughs> oh, and they went in her head twice, and they still oh. didn't get it, so they went to her foot. It was really hard to watch. Oh, my gosh. And, um... Yeah, they ended up giving her this antibiotic that made her so tired that then she wasn't demand feeding. So then she's like going backwards there. I couldn't get her to breastfeed. So then we had to bottle feed, which is not a big deal. But she had been breastfeeding exclusively for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. I was like driving there through the night to breastfeed her. And so that was like that last week in there was like probably the hardest week that we experienced with both of our kids. It was really, really scary. Can't even imagine. So Derek's working and kind of coming back and forth at this point. So with Reese, we kind of decided that like we were staying at the Ronald McDonald house. Um, Derek did a really, really great job of figuring out like how many EDOs he had, how many sick days he had, how many like was it special leave days? And if you have like a critically ill child, you get some days. And Mm -hmm. so he kind of the entire time we were in the NICU, he took every Thursday and Friday off. So he would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then him and Tate would come up on Wednesday after school and be there until Sunday night. And then Tate would go to daycare those days, Mm -hmm. um, like while Derek was working. And then they were with me in the city for like the four days. Um, But yeah, that week he did the like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then he came up Thursday. And then our parents did take Tate randomly, but I just like, I needed him. So like Tate, like I just, yeah. Yeah. I, that like, like being separated from him. I think that's what made Reese's experience so hard. Yeah. Like we knew everything that was coming. We knew we were going to be in there for like weeks they kind of tell you to plan to be there 
for until your due date. So my due date with Reese was July 18th and we had her May 17th. And so we're thinking you'd kind of just mentally plan like, okay, I'm going to be here until the middle of July. Um, So it was kind of a good time to have her because it was at the end of the school year for Derek. Um, But feeling like every single day when I woke up, I felt like I was making the decision, like which kid am I going to choose today? Am I going to see Tate or am I going to see Reese? Um, Do you want to kind of talk about how Tate handled it all? Yeah, so him and I, like, we were out in Bigger quite a bit um, for it. It was, for the most part, I mean, it was, I mean, they noticed, but, I mean, he was young enough that he didn't, you know, I mean, it would just kind of became our normal, I guess, for the most part. There was a lot, of, there there was times, though, and we got into a little bit of a breaking of the <laughs> sleeping habits that we had that were good, but he was like, he'd be upset some nights, and so then I was, we were just sleeping together, like he'd sleep in our bed with me, mm-hmm. and which, when we all got home, was not a great idea. <laughs> but at the time, and I would still to this day say that, like, that's what I would still do because you have like a two and a half year old kid crying, yeah, and you just like you know, and then in those times, that's when it was really hard. Where you, that's where you really noticed your family was like split in half essentially, and it was just like nothing you could do about it, and there wasn't a lot of time where the three of us were together. Like I would go up, Taryn would take him. Then that's when I would go over and see Reese cause he wasn't able to go in. So even when we were there, we could, weren't, we were never a four. No. It was only ever like two and two or, you know, like three. And then we had to leave Reese, which, you know, you're not feeling good about that or she's like breastfeeding. So you can only go for like small chunks of time where there was all three of us. And with her breastfeeding, it was still us a lot of the time just together yeah Tate and I at like the Ronald McDonald house or whatever we were doing so it was just yeah it was it was tough to navigate it all I guess but it was just you kind of just do what you got to do so and I think that was like the hardest part was being like um with Tate I kind of was talking about how like you do you have this grieving period and I still I look back and I'm like little things that people take for granted and you cannot blame them because they for example I don't even know how to say this but like for example I never got a picture in the hospital bed where Tate was meeting Reese Tate waited 42 days before he could meet his little sister so he saw his mom with a baby in the belly one day Mm -hmm. and the next she wasn't there and he could not figure out why all of a sudden mom is just gone. Yeah. Right. And like, I didn't get the, so I don't like, I don't have a picture of all of us in the hospital and we didn't have visitors like holding our newborn baby. And it's like, all you want is for the big brother to meet the little sister and to get that photo. And when you, when you can't do that, that was so hard for me. And I just remember like, Every time Tate left, I just felt like my heart was just being like ripped in half just over and over and over. And there was nothing I could do about it. And I remember um, I posted about that on Facebook, just saying how that was so hard for me. And I remember somebody commenting and saying how um, 
get used to it. Like that's life with two kids. Like this weekend I'm choosing, am I watching my son's um, soccer or my other, like my daughter's baseball. And I remember being like, that's like, that's privilege. Like you get to make that choice. This is me like, okay, am I going to like see if my daughter's heart keeps beating today or am I going to go and console my two-year-old who doesn't understand why mom is just gone? Mm -hmm. Like so different. So different. Yeah. And again, coming from a place of like love, but yeah, that was like really hard. So that was the biggest thing with Reese was like navigating all of that with a toddler who's like been the love of your life from the minute he was born. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like now adjusting as a family of four. And like, what does that look like? What does that feel like? But you're doing it away from one of them. all the time yeah I can't even imagine and Derek and I like I don't think the entire time we were with Reese like it was never Derek and I right because Mm -hmm. Kate was always there which was what we wanted and what we felt was like best for our family but we kind of got home and it's like okay now you have like catching up to do in your marriage because you've just been through like hell And you've done it together, but, like, you haven't. Yeah. So. All right. So I have one last question for you. Okay. Um, Hold on a second while I remember what it was. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I know that you guys, obviously, you don't have, like, a full-term, any full-term children. um, But you obviously must know the some of the differences that you guys face or the challenges you guys face with having preemies mm-hmm. um, that maybe full-term children don't get. Does that, does my question make sense? Like what extra challenges do you face? Okay. With having with preemies our kids. versus parents facing with full-term babies. Yeah. So one thing with preemies is that you always have to, and this is where I wish I could just, There's a difference between like an early term child and a preterm baby. Okay. So your baby technically is like full, like is like term at like 36 weeks from 36 weeks to 40 weeks. It's basically just about like fattening up. But if they're born, they should breathe on their own, regulate their temperature, suck, swallow, breathe. Like they should be able to do most of that stuff unless there's underlying health issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's an early term baby. Most 36, 37, 38, 39 weekers go home, right? But it's, and then it's like 28 to like 35 is a preterm baby. And then like a 22 weeker to a 25 weeker is a micro preemie. Those babies are very, very small. Mm -hmm. So the challenges that like a micro preemie to a preemie would face are a little bit different, right? There's more extreme oxygen support with micro preemies, given that there's no other underlying issues for preemies. But the biggest thing I think is just like, is the like making sure that they are meeting milestones and like figuring life out basically like a normal healthy child would so we when we look at like say Reese is 10 months old but technically like her corrected age would be seven and a half months old because she 
like they cut the umbilical cord Mm -hmm. nine weeks early, right? So when it comes to her health and her immune system, she's still very far behind. So things like the flu flu season for preemies is a very, very scary time because when preemies get sick, it's not like a normal term baby getting sick. A cold is never a cold for our kids, ever. It's like... Okay, and then there's a double ear infection or bronchitis or RSV we just went through in January with both the kids. Like, that stuff always escalates. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest things for us anyways in our preemies, it's like, okay, are we doing everything we can to make sure that they're hitting their milestones properly and growing and developing where they're supposed to and keeping them healthy? Right is really, really challenging. Luckily, and um, I think we're going to talk about this kind of later in our NICU series, like what life after the NICU looks like. We have a team that we work with. So um, when you're discharged from the NICU, you basically get home to like a stack of papers being like, hey, you're going to see this specialist this day, this special, and you have all of these appointments. So we are very, very cared for and well looked after. So it's a lot of appointments, but it just, yeah, that's just kind of like life with preemies is like a ton of appointments, which. But those kind of slow down a little bit as they get older. Like Tate yes. doesn't have nearly as many as Reese. No, no. Um, so now. your first year, yeah, your first year, you're basically looking at going to them every two months. My family doctor saw them each once a month. Plus you have eye specialists, hearing specialists, um, Reese had a bit of hip dysphagia or dysplasia where her hips weren't forming properly. Um, so we had like three extra appointments for that. Um, and now we're just monitoring some, like we've been referred to a neurosurgeon. So that's just like another handful of appointments that we'll see. So, and it's totally dependent. Like if your child is born preterm due to like underlying health issues, that's going to look different. But our kids were just born preterm because my uterus sucks. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. So is there anything else that you want to share with us um, before we call it a night? I think like the biggest thing that's always on my heart when I hear that people are going through the NICU is like in the time you feel so alone there's so much going on around you all the time. And even if you have a supportive, you know, outside family or even husband or friends and people are trying to do things for you, you feel so isolated because nobody can feel the way that you feel when you can't care for your babies. Mm -hmm. There just is no other feeling like that in the world. Um, And my biggest thing for NICU moms is just to like reach out and get help. There was nothing better that I ever did was that wasn't very good English. But basically what I'm trying to say is like I went to counseling after Tate and that was the best thing that I could have ever done um, because it's traumatic. Like the post like the PTSD and the anxiety and the depression that comes along with the NICU journey is alive and well um, and you don't have to face that alone. Like as much as you feel like you are, you're not. That's amazing. I hope all those new mamas heard that loud and clear. Me too. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And thanks, Derek, for being our special guest. <laughs> You're welcome. Keeping care, keeping Taryn on her toes with the whole Reese story. We oh, needed you. God. <laughs> Um, make sure you guys tune in next Wednesday when we bring you another NICU episode. Have a good night, you guys. Bye.